That was, that was beautiful, thank you. You know, isn't that a powerful idea that the stones that the world would condemn us with, you know, if you think of everything contrary, everything that's been done in this world to hurt us, every mistake we've made every time someone has tried to hurt us, and grace can take that and be part of what makes us strong for the journey. It's such a remarkable idea. And, you know, John chapter 3 is not usually a text you think about for um, Ash Wednesday, but this convergence of uh, uh, Valentine's Day, Happy Valentine's Day, uh, and Ash Wednesday, it makes it a perfect text as we're working through the Gospel of John. And as I told uh, the men's Bible study yesterday, there's so much in chapter 3 um, I, this is going to, this tonight will be available with the sermons. I'm also going to do a supplemental recording that's going to be more of a teaching because there's just so many layers here that I, I can't get to, but I, I, I think it's important. So we're going to pick up the text with Nicodemus, poor Nicodemus, smart, rich guy, uh, very devout, you know, cares enough to come to Jesus to ask the question. Uh, does it at night so nobody can see him, all right? He would make, what, a good, he'd make a good UCC, right? He sneaks into church without anybody catching him, right? Anyway, so here we go. Second phase of questions here. Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, and then here the narrative shifts. I think this is purposely the writer of John's summary of everything that's come before us in the Gospel of John. So this is no longer Jesus speaking. This is the Gospel writer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, in the midst of all that's going on outside of us, in the midst of all that's going on inside of us, help us to hear the clear call of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to say, 
given just what's going on this week, you know, people say, ah, we have to, you know, the Bible doesn't speak to today. It's, it's outdated. And I, and I just read, you know, thinking I'm kind of a news junkie and I read multiple news and I'm following lots of different things going on in the world right now. And this line that um, the light is coming to the world, but people love darkness rather than light. <laughs> At any rate, <clears throat> I want you to know, I believe strongly in a separation of church from football. <laughs> I do not like mixing my religion with my football because I have to live in somewhat of a denial to enjoy football. And I'm, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I've lived in denial for many, many decades about things. Now, don't get me wrong. I respect football players who express and practice their faith. I'm not doubting the sincerity of Patrick Mahomes or anyone else. You know, if incredibly strong 300-pound men were trying to take my head off every play, I think I would be praying as well and, and thanking the Lord that I still had a head at the end of the game. You know, we are, as Christians, we are supposed to give God the glory for all things. But <laughs> I saw a meme this week uh, that I think is even more honest because it has this big football player who's being interviewed. And he says, first, I'd like to blame the Lord for us losing. <laughs> See, I would love to hear that. If God, yeah, if God helps us win, uh, he needs to take some of the blame as well. And I know in the news cycle, this is old news now, but I have to admit that I've been amused by the controversy around the ads, the, the Jesus ads, right? And, um, you know, the foot washing one in particular. From every spectrum, every political and every religious spectrum, someone has been offended by that commercial. And I find that, I find that in of itself fascinating. I've heard Christians say that it was heretical, which it wasn't. There was no uh, Trinitarian or Christological issues involved, so it wasn't heresy. I had people say... Filth washing is creepy. And frankly, it kind of freaked the disciples out when it happened back in John as well. All right, I'll give them that. People pointed out that the Jesus presented in the commercial is very different than the one from the folks who financed it. And it's just been, it's, again, often what we project says more about us than what we are commentating on, right? Yeah. Um, but it points out to the trouble of marketing the Christian message, right? Now, again, because this country never had a state church, well, for the most, we had regional, but you know, ever since the Constitution, we haven't had a, a um, state church. So churches have always been built somewhat on a marketing principle in this country. It's part of the uniqueness of American Christianity. It's, it's part of why we are the way we are, right? But there's always something about trying to market the Christian message that seems to fall short. It's, it's hard to get the truth of the gospel in a bumper sticker. Um, of course, things used to be a little more simpler than the $20 million ad, right? How many of you remember the John 3.16 guy? You know, like there's, at first, like he had an afro, he had a sign, John 3.16. Somehow he always got that great seat behind uh, the catcher, you know, so he could be on television. I remember as a kid thinking, not so much about John 3, 16, just wondering, how do you get that good seat? That was kind of the message that got to me. And, and what's interesting is 
that John 3.16 bumper sticker kind of became um, code for a particular branch of Christianity, right? But, but they weren't wrong about pointing out John 3.16. Okay? They, just, they just weren't quite complete. Because what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is an amazing partial summary of Jesus. And it, it really, <laughs> poor Nicodemus. I mean, he's an interesting character because he comes in being sincere and he spends the next chapter just being totally confused. By the way, for those of you who will be here Sunday, all right, I just want to give you a preview. Nicodemus, insider, theologian, righteous man, teacher of the law, totally confused. Sunday we're going to talk about a Samaritan woman with an interesting past. And her conversation with Jesus goes a little differently, so think about that. But John 3, 16 is this, it's a powerful summary of everything we've read in John so, so far. And again, that's one thing this, this time through John. Everything is referring back to something. It, the, the story keeps talking to itself. It's an intertext in, in, in a powerful way. So when we say God so loved the world, it answers the question, well, why was the world made through the word? Remember the first ch- chapter. Why was the world made through the Logos? Love. Why did the Logos, why did the word become flesh? Love. Why does Jesus have to be the Lamb of God? Love. Why will he be lifted up? Love. Why does he baptize us with the Holy Spirit? Because he wants the power of love to be with us always. Why does he give abundant wine? Why does he give abundant bread? Why does he give abundant life? Because that's just what love does, right? Yeah. So this part of the message that I was taught as a kid in those Christian circles was absolutely right. Unless you're born anew, unless you're born anew from on high is really what it means. Unless you are changed by God, you're not going to be able to receive my love, but I want to give you my love. That's why you have to be changed. Because you can't, you can't take it the way you are. You need your eyes opened. You need your heart opened. And and he says it's not a flesh thing. It's more than experience. That's really important. See, being born anew by God is is so much bigger than whether I feel it or not. That's what he means. He says it's not of the flesh, right? And our emotions, our psychology, all that's part of our chemistry. That's part of being the carbon-based life form that we are. Sometimes our feelings are just that dust banging around inside, right? But it's more than that. It's God grabbing hold of us and us saying yes to that that love. Now, it may have been accidental 
that that branch of Christianity that I grew up in chopped off verse 17. It may have been accidental, but it's been quite consequential. Because verse 17 says, For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You know what I think that really means? You know what I think that really is saying? I think it means that God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world. I think it means what it says. That God is not in the condemnation business. Now, see, this is a really important shift. Because John's reworking what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. We didn't have time to talk about that. But the first century people waiting for the kingdom of God to show up were waiting for a Messiah to set everything right. And to set everything right meant that a lot of people needed to be massacred. (laughs) Starting with the Romans. That's what they were expecting. That's why they, one of the reasons they killed Jesus, because he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. But John's really clear here that the Son of God, the Messiah, the Logos of God, God incarnate, didn't come to condemn the world. So, okay, and this, I don't think this is that hard, okay? But if God's not about condemning the world, then maybe we shouldn't be in that business either. And that doesn't mean we can't say something's wrong. That doesn't mean we can't point out injustice. But people who call themselves after the name of God have no business being in the condemnation business. And it actually starts with what you do inside yourself. Have you ever said, well, that person's so much harder on themselves than they are on the rest of us? Well, yeah, but she's pretty hard on the rest of us, too, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm well, great for her, but I wish she wasn't being this way with me right now, right? Because it's hard not to to be self-condemning and for that not to have a trickle down, you know, that form of economics doesn't work, but boy, that form of condemnation does work. It trickles down, doesn't it, right? right? And so the good news of Lent is that you leave that behind. That uh, the stone that was to be thrown at you to condemn you, or the stone you pick up and just hit yourself with, that has to be left behind. That becomes the scar tissue that God heals us. Becomes the muscle of his grace. You know, the irony of Lent is by thinking about our need for repentance and forgiveness, we actually open up our lives and hearts for deeper forgiveness and mercy and love and faith and hope. He who believes is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. You know, what's, what's, really, <laughs> what's really interesting about that is that we live in such a graceless age. I mean, everything was supposed to liberate us, right? We were supposed to be liberated from the bondage of guilt and from archaic religion 
We were supposed to be set free to find ourselves, to live however we wanted to live, to find our bliss. That really hasn't gone so well. That has not gone so well. And not that there's some good intentionality in there, right? There's all kinds of false morality that's used to hurt people. But the interesting thing is, for instance, we spend all this energy helping kids have good self-images. We've spent decades doing this. And I think my generation, without any reason to, felt better about ourselves. <laughs> we felt pretty good about ourselves. We didn't do much, but we felt pretty good about that, right? See, I think there's a something, there's, there's this idea that there's something out there that condemns us. And we need to be set free from that. And, and so there's a sense where God doesn't really need to judge us because we're really good at doing that ourselves. And so... Belief opens us up to this fountain of grace. I saw a meme this week. It said, how are you going to celebrate Valentine's Day? And it says, I'm going to have dirt on my head and think about death. (laughs) Well, okay. But I think it's a great time to think about love. Because this really is about love. I was on a church retreat one time. We had an all-church retreat. Had about 100 people on this retreat, and a lot of young families. It was a great thing. And, um, this one guy, God help him, he was a good guy. He just always said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing. And he had just been laid off from a job, a professional guy. He ended up landing on his feet. But he was kind of a mess going into this retreat. And his wife was this brilliant and beautiful lawyer, and she's holding their baby. And he comes coming through the room and he says something stupid and offensive and knocks something over and walks on through. And she, she looks at him as he walks away and she turns to me and she goes, I know that I married him for a reason. And I know that I loved him and I know that I love him now. Sometimes I just have to remember why. But isn't that, <laughs> that's, and by the way, there. 20, 20 years later, they're still happily married, all right? Well, I think that's a beautiful thing. There are days that we have to remember that we are, are loved. And Lent is a journey to be reminded by leaving things behind to distract us. Even the lesser things we pick up because we're not sure we're loved. So we'll, we'll do this, we'll distract ourselves. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll indulge ourselves a little too much. Or we'll always stay busy. That was my, that's my, always been my drug of choice. Work and busy. So I've got to let that go a little bit. So I might be able to hear God's love a little more clearer. I want to end with this prayer by Pedro Arupe. He was um, the general, uh, father general of the Jesuits. Uh, amazing life. He was expelled during the Spanish Civil War. He was kicked out of Spain in 1932. Um, He ended up being imprisoned. He was in China when when Japan invaded China. He was imprisoned, thought he was going to be killed. He ends up being relocated with other Jesuits in the suburbs of Hiroshima. 
And his handful of Jesuits probably saved about 150 people's lives. But he, <laughs> this is what he witnessed in his life. He was very involved in sending priests to Central America. And some of his priests were killed for working for the poor in the 70s and 80s. And this is a prayer that he wrote towards the end of his life. Nothing is more practical than finding God. That is, than falling in love in a quiet, absolute, final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekend, what you read, who you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love. Stay in love. And it will decide everything. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I invite you to stand and sing our final hymn, hymn number 200.